0: Love Talk Radio. live from New York City, and it's indeed a pleasure to speak with you today, uh, the month of March, March the 10th, 2013, at 6.30 p.m. Indeed, um, as always, I am always grateful to the One Most High for allowing me to be able to share with you uh, our show, uh, Grassroots Holistic Health, on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, Last week, we spoke about... uh, Uh, actually cover the book and review the book, uh, The Spirit of a Man by Ayanlar Vassant. But before I begin, I must bear witness and give homage to the One Most High, to our ancestors, to my siblings, uh, to my godmother, my mother-in-law, my godfather, to my wife. Um, I'm just so humbled to be present and alive today, at the age that I am at 69 years of age, to be able to be healthy and to be able to share what little bit of wisdom I have. For I am only a servant of the Most High. I am a servant of the ancestors. And it is my prayer that I am able to fulfill my purpose, and that is to share pertinent information that can be uplifting for all of us. So we left last week with uh, discussing a very interesting part of uh, the book that uh, Sister Ayanna uh, authored, The Spirit of of a Man. And I just wanted to just share with you a little bit about her, uh, that Ayanna Fassant is an author of four bestsellers. And uh, one of them, uh, actually I'll go in the order of Tapping the Power Within is one. Acts of Faith is the next one. The Value in the Valley the Valley." that is The Value in the Valley, and last but not least, Faith in the Valley. And then, of course, this book is the last one that she authored, which is um, a very dynamic and inspirational book and informative, The Spirit of a Man. She's a very popular public speaker. She's a Yoruba priestess. Uh, she's also a, uh, a lawyer, and she lectures nationwide and conducts workshops and, and facilitates training for both black women and men, with permission to assist in the empowerment of her sisters and brothers. And she is also the director of EnerVision's Life Mant- Mant- Maintenance rather, Center. Uh, it's been long known as the country's healing authority. Uh, she has been long known as the country's leading authority on spirituality and empowerment for black women. Ayanla Vasant now offers a message of faith, self-knowledge, and courage for black men in the struggles and crises and victories that we face in today's society. She offers a a perspective of teaching black men to recognize and tap the energy of our own spirits. Uh, Sister Vasant uses a a brilliant and transforming blend of ancient African spirituality, practical self-help advice, and... Temporary faith to help black men and the women who love them nurture the strength and the power that is our own birthright, so without further ado, uh, i'll just pick up from where we left off last week, and that was uh, in the uh, the chapter of awareness um, we were touching upon the fact that indeed um, men in the African community we Recognize the ancestral royalty who ruled a village or a kingdom or a nation and were able to impart certain rights to black men, and that was the right to be respected, to be heard, to be obeyed without question or challenge was a function of culture and communal tradition. Today, however, without the benefit of a supportive cultural context or the temperance gained through ritual, ceremony, and training, the ancient spiritual directors that once gave black men the right to rule are polluted by selfish motivations to dominate and pursue individual gain. The once royal attribute of being in charge, which was tempered and spiritually grounded, comes of course, today as ego centered aggression. Forceful, powerful hunters and warriors move strategically using skill rather than brute force to gather food for the village and to protect tribal boundaries. The Zulu of South Africa, the Sante and the Dogen of West Africa were warriors trained in the arts of hunting and war. And under normal conditions, healers did not engage in war and priests did not hunt unless they had specifically trained or had been specifically trained to perform these functions. And those uh, traditional Uh, well, these traditions, as she says, uh, men knew that their role was to serve and maintain traditional continuity. The Shante warriors, for example, never killed an animal unless the day had been divined by the priest as a good one for hunting. The animal would then be used for food and clothing. No honorable warrior ever killed another man unless it was to protect or save his family. And today... Descendants of these mighty and proud men move brutally through concrete and asphalt, destroying life and limb to claim the victory of controlling a corner or a a turf, much to the dismay of those who live in the communities among them. And without proper understanding and training ancestral energies that surge forward in the consciousness of black men stimulate behaviors that are inappropriate and out of context for the world in which you live today. So we must, she touches upon the, the Yoruba culture, like most traditional African cultures, provides manhood training, and that's in the form of rituals and rites of passage and are performed to mark significant milestones in life. At birth, the naming ceremony includes divination so that the community can identify which ancestral energy the child embodies and what the child's role will be in life. The child is then given a name that exemplifies that energy. And the Europeans believe that the name is the nature. When you call a child's name, you're educating the child's spirit about its mission in life. When the young males reach adolescence, they are taken into the woods to be circumcised to receive mentoring from the older men about their functions as men. Young artisans, hunters, warriors, and statesmen sit with the elders to receive guidance about the mandates of cultural traditions. Before they marry, men receive training from their fathers and elders to ensure their preparedness to take on the responsibility of a wife and family. And this is a form of sex education as well as a cultural education in which the man is informed that he will be expected to honor. There are also uh, a, a ceremony that signifies moving from the status of clansmen to elder, a status of great respect and prominence. And this is not a ceremony in which all men participate. It is an elevation of one's life and the contributions made to the welfare of the entire community. The final rites of passage takes place at death priests and elders perform a ceremony to ensure a safe passing over from the physical to the spiritual world the measure of the worth of the man's life is reflected in the elaboration of the ceremony and also the number of people attending and in his if his children are present to perform the rites contribute to his burial and carry on his work it is believed that the man has lived a full and meaningful life in African tradition, men are taught the principles of madhood according to cultural prescriptions. The goal of these rituals, ceremonies, and other rites is to inspire, uplift, and support the development of consciousness. And in many ways, including divination and ceremony, young men are advised of their purpose in life, the thing that they have been born to do. And young men were taught the principles of the universal and the natural laws that rule the flow of life and control their environment. They were taught to respect these principles and honor the laws. Armed with the information, they were provided opportunities to demonstrate their ability to survive and support, learning from the males around them. And they were instructed in cultivating their God-given talents, gifts, and abilities at a pace that matched their temperament and was conducive to their purpose. So African men were instructed in the importance of both the tangible and the intangible forces with which they were expected to interact in life. And much of this manhood training, as it was imbued by African culture, traditions, and ceremonies, is not available to young men, uh, males who are living in the Western Hemisphere today. Most of us, as I reflect on my life as a young man living in Harlem, my stepfather, he was a barber during the day, and he, uh, he, he actually dealt with drugs at night. And that was a means of survival. We had to do what we had to do, but it was uh, a direction that took a toll on many of us, not only in my family but many other families in, in the Harlem's of the world, in the Harlem's actually of the United States, if not the world. Uh, we were living a contradiction, as it were. I know that when I went to the barber shop where my father, my stepfather worked at, I went there to pick up tits so that we could eat at night, eat, have dinner for the evening. And while sitting there maybe four hours at times, two, three, four hours, until he accumulated enough money that he saw it suffice for uh, feeding a family of four, actually it grew into a family of five, that um, uh, I would hear stories of the men as a uh, jostled and played the Dirty Dozens and as they talked about the good old times and and their conquests with women and, and their conquests in terms of hitting the number and, 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 and playing uh, cards and betting and so forth and uh, wearing the finest of clothing. And, of course, this barbershop was not too far from the Apollo Theater, and uh, that was something that was really a phenomenon. I didn't realize it then until now, of years uh, later, that my father was noted, my stepfather was noted as being a professional uh, hairstylist for what they called a conch, uh, processed hair, straightened hair, which men at that time used very prominently. And he was very famous and, and very known, much known, within the jazz community. And he took me to the Apollo at least once or twice a month, every, every month to listen to big bands like Count Basie and Duke Ellington and, and uh, all the heavyweights, uh, Nat King Cole. Uh, I just grew up with this rich music, Ella Fitzgerald, Sarah Vaughan. You know, it was just really a magical moment. However, I didn't realize that that was a continuum. This rich music, soulful, spiritual music, was a continu- continuum of the African tradition. It was an offshoot, if you will, a continuum of the beat of the drum. All of these professional and master musicians were master drummers, as it were. They were drum majors. And somehow or other, the knowledge, which I just shared with you earlier in the show, was diluted in terms of the richness, the richness of our tradition, of our culture. And uh, my purpose in, in my life, I found out years later, was to be part of the change of that downhill, uh, that downhill sparrow, if you will, of the diminishing, of the diluting of our African tradition, which was meant to be uplifting in terms of the cultures uh, that we practice. And um, the drum is the beginning of that. And that's why I I took to the book written by our sister, Ayanla Vasant, The Spirit of a Man. I will be back in a moment. I will continue uh, for the next, uh, I think we have about 15 more minutes, and I do again. Appreciate you sharing your Sunday afternoon or actually evening with us. Be back in a moment. Trained, the women also received their life instruction to, through ritual and ceremony. And although the basic rites of passage were the same, the primary emphasis for young girls was on child rearing, homemaking, support of the male, and commerce. I'll mention this word commerce because uh, that's something that's very interesting. As we have uh, fast forward to the year 2013, we have more. Men, women of African descent who have the college degrees that we do of men. The majority of our brothers are, uh, not a majority, but a great many of them, far too many, over one million, are in prisons in, in the United States. And that's by design. Uh, I, I'm really looking forward to uh, having the opportunity to just share more information about that as I educate myself in terms of the facts surrounding the new Uh, industrial complex institution, which is called prison. Um, Going back to uh, Sister Ayala's book, in many ancient African cultures, women were not men. Women, not men, ruled commerce and training. Women ran the marketplace because they harvested the crops. Women were the foundation of the the textile trade because they cured the animal skins, wove, and dive dyed the cloth, and constructed the garments. And believe it or not, women controlled the purse. Because women gathered the food, furnished, and maintained the clothing and provided the basic foundation for the family, many cultures deemed it appropriate for women to handle and manage the medium of trade, the money. It was the man's responsibility to do what was required to enhance the family's financial status, but the woman handled the distribution of the resources. This tradition also existed during slavery and afterward. It was not uncommon for a black man to work all week and bring his paycheck home to his wife, who then provided for the family's needs. Today, a black man gave his money to his wife's... Today, a black man, actually, who gives his money to his wife is called a fool. The treatment and status of women in the culture in which we now live gave rise to the belief that women are incapable of handling something as important as money. Your ancestors knew better. They suffered from more than seasickness. This is the next part of this chapter. As slaves, black men were forced to subdue their basic instincts in order to remain alive. The instinct to lead, build, rule, and protect those around them is an inherent characteristic of the male psyche. On one side of the coin, this was good. Had every descendant of a king, hunter, a warrior, insisted on acting out his ancestral inclinations during slavery, mass deaths could have resulted in the extinction of the black people. On the other side, the dehumanizing oppressive social system of slavery that forced black men to suppress and alienate the calling of their consciousness created inner conflict, and this conflict was between the fear of pain and death, which could come from the hands of the slave master and doing what they do knew and believed to be their responsibility as men. Men protect the women. Men build for the community. Men control their resources through cooperation with their physical environment. Men initiate thought and action for the survival and evolution of the group. As slaves... Black men, fearing death, were forced to suppress this energy that lived in their being, that lived in their psyche. They lost touch with their purpose. The concept of manhood that was alive as the cellular ancestral memory had to be denied. When a black man called himself into question in the recesses of his own mind, he was deemed unworthy. He was not living up to his responsibility of our purpose as a man. It was rape and the separation of the family that devastated the psyche of the black woman. The reality that a man could impose himself on you without your permission as an accepted aspect of culture left the black woman vulnerable and confused. Her virtue and purity no longer seemed to matter, that her father, husband, brother could not protect her from the violations of of her home or body diminished the very fiber of the black woman's existence. Although she logically knew and understand that her man could not protect her, she still wanted, needed, and expected it. A black woman knew it was her duty, her purpose, and responsibility to keep the black family together. For if she failed, it was a blemish against her and all the women before her. As a slave, a black woman could keep her mouth shut, endure the crack of the whip, submit to the whims of the master, not because she wanted or enjoyed it, but because she believed it would keep her family safe. A woman can endure and survive a rape. No man can survive being hanged. So why does it seem that black women has been able to endure, overcome, and move beyond the horrors of history, while the black man has not. Well, Ayala shares with us that the cellular ancestral memory of service, even subservience, did not affect the black woman's spirit in the same way that it did the black man's. For a woman to be subservient to a man once had a purpose and brought rewards. However, for a black man to bow down to another man shatters the fibers of his being. For a woman to delay personal person of gratification for the good of the whole, it is not offensive to her ego. For a man to be denied the right to be who he is, to do what he is capable of doing, reap the rewards of his labors, offends his very soul. The infliction of pain, the fear of death, the regulation of black people to a position of disgrace and dishonor affected us all, and it continues to affect us in, in this present day. From generation to generation, it has been passed to us, brothers and sisters. Each gender has devised its own defense mechanisms and rationales to cope with the the experience that was experienced by our ancestors. Many of these mechanisms keep us emotionally and spiritually separated today. It is quite possible that black women still blame black men for not being able to protect them Black men may still be angry at black women for the things they endured at the hands of the white man to ensure our mutual survival. The culture into which we were brought was in direct conflict with the ancestral memory in our genes, and the conflict in which we lived then manifests in almost anything and everything that we do today. From slavery through Jim Crow, Black men learned to use dishonesty as a survival tool. They could not speak the truth as they knew it. They could not demonstrate their knowledge or intelligence. They held themselves at an emotional distance from those things and people they believed would draw from them the truth and their identity, their thoughts and feelings. Lying, withholding information, and altering their reality to the demands of others were the ways black men stayed off trees, off the auction block. And out of fires. For black women, this honesty was more of an, an internal process. Black women had to tell themselves that whatever was going on did not matter, and that only God could help them. So, indeed, we have in this present day, in our communities. I know the community that I live here in Brooklyn, New York, we have this uh, this dysfunction within our community which has been forced from generation to generation to generation where black men do not respect it. themselves and each other and our women, don't respect our elders and our children. And that's not the majority of them. That's the minority, actually. But, indeed, it only takes but one cancer cell to contaminate the whole body, and then if it's not treated, the whole body will die. So this is a period in which we have, where we have a African, a man of African descent, who is the president of the United States, where we have something which we can hold on to, at least our children for 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 for, for certain, in terms of saying that yes, in spite of the oppression, in spite of all the hindrances and handicaps and and blocks and 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 obstacles that have been placed in our way that we can still survive, even to the point that we can aspire to be the President of the United States, the most powerful uh, position of leadership within the world. There are many schools of thought, many political, many spiritual, and and, uh, philosophical uh, schools of thought that claim that indeed um, the presidency is only a a a front, a figurehead, as it were, that uh, the person who exercises the title of being the president doesn't really have that power. That big the difference! One has to be a political scientist, a social scientist, a paleontologist, uh, archaeologist, uh, and all the sciences. But most of all, one has to be spiritually imbued, spiritually uh, mature, and aware, and a master of that realm of, of understanding to understand that, indeed, we all have our uh, purpose. We all have the capacity for change. And what we need to do is consider developing leadership within ourselves. And Ayana talks about this further on in the book, which I will share with you next week. Um, actually, even during the week, I will be having shows uh, that will be posted on my Facebook uh, page. And other uh, uh, network marketing. I'm sorry, in networks. Uh, mentioning network marketing, I'm involved with a, a uh, an organization called uh, EPX, and I'm not going to talk about the uh, the financial part of it. But I just encourage that those of you who are suffering, or if you know someone who's suffering from uh, any type of heart condition, those of us who who have uh, uh, diabetes, uh, those of us who lack proper nutrition and and have uh, inadequate vitamin and supplement intake, uh, those who would need a detox type of um, product, and um, those of us who are marathon or just athletes. I'm a marathon runner, van Nineteen. Marathons. I'm training for my fifteenth. We have products that are available. On my site, you just have to go to www.wesleygray.us. That's W-E-S-L-E-Y-G-R-A-Y.us. And these type of products will be available on my site, and uh, there's also an opportunity for one to uh, become uh, financially well-being from this particular opportunity that I share at my website. Again, I repeat, that's www.wesleygray.us. And also, those of you who don't have a drum, please feel free to go to my website, drumsofchange.com. That's drumsofchange.com. And my desire is for every African family, people of African uh, descent, uh, to have a drum in the house and a designated drummer. So I thank you for listening this evening. I look forward to sharing with you next uh, this coming week um, more um, excerpts from uh, Miss uh, Sister Ayana Fassant's um, book, *The Spirit of a Man*. And I do again thank you for tuning in this evening. As I do it all, I to the Most High, to our ancestors, to my siblings, to all of my um, friends, and to my Lovely wife, I give praise and, and I'm grateful. So, again, thank you. Shalom. Assalamu alaikum. Hetepu. Namaste. Peace, love, and blessings. Have a great week.